Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Good. Oh, I've just turned my laptop off. That's not a good idea. Uh, so we're in this season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Who's entered into that? Just by a show of hands, it'd be good to see you. Great. Lots and lots of us. It's just been a phenomenal time and we're just coming to the end of that. So uh, I think today probably a lot of people are going to be gorging on, on sweets and chocolates and that sort of thing. But I just want to thank you for entering into that because it's, it brings us together as a church, I think, and reminds us again of what we're called to do and who we're called to be. Is that right? And, uh, but that doesn't mean prayer stops, does it? After January, you know, prayer's off the agenda. We don't need to pray again. No, listen, we need to be praying continually, believing God to do more and more. Now, I've got the privilege this morning of finishing out a series on Don't Forget. And I don't know about you, but I've found this series really, really helpful for myself. Like, I'm a forgetter. I'm someone who forgets a lot. Is there anyone who forgets things quite a bit here? Yeah, the two main culprits in this room... Christian and Jared did not put their hands up then. Um, you know, I'd fall into a similar place to them. My, I've got, the good thing is I've got a wife who's always reminded me. She's like, don't forget your wallet, Josh. Don't forget your keys. Don't forget to put clothes on. You know, not, not, that, not that last one. I, I remember clothes. I, I tend to be good at clothes. But I, I'm not joking you. Like, even in December, Christmas season, present period, I, H- Helen said to me, Josh, don't forget this present. Don't forget to take this present tomorrow morning. I said, babe, you know what I'm like. I'll forget. I need you to to help me remember it. So she said, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the present on the floor in front of the door. Like she didn't say, she's not a poet like me, but I'm going to put it on the floor next to the door. So it's impossible to forget. So the next morning I go through my morning routine. I'm focused on getting out of the house. What do I do? I must have stepped straight over the present and forgot it. I'd forgot the present. I don't know about you, but we all need a reminder sometimes, don't we? A refresher at some point in our lives. And that's what this series was created for, that we don't forget those things that lead us to Jesus. That in the busyness of our lives, that we don't forget the things that really matter, the things that keep us connected with our Creator. We've looked at prayer, fasting, worship, the Bible, and today we're going to be covering the gathering as I preach the concluding message in the series. See, the key verse for this series, and we're not actually going to have it up on screen because we've looked at it quite a lot, is found in Matthew 7. And a lot of us would know now that this verse in Matthew 7, it's Jesus discussing, and it's a parable of Jesus, a story of Jesus, where he talks about two men. And one man, one man, he builds this house. It looks phenomenal on the outside. It looks great. It's got all the mod cons. The problem is with this man, he's forgotten the foundation. So the rain comes, the storm comes, the wind blows. Because this man's built his house on sand, the house falls down. Jesus calls this man the foolish man. Jesus then introduces to another character in his story who builds a house, the house is everything that he needs, but this man first and foremost focused on his foundation. We see that he built his house on the rock. So the rain came, the winds blew, the storm came, but at the end of it, this man's house was still standing. You might be here today and you might feel like that first man that everything might look good on the outside, 
People might think you're doing okay, but you know deep down that when the storm comes, everything's going to fall to pieces. I'm here to tell you today that the firm foundation for our lives is Jesus. And if you build your life on him, your life will remain stable in the storm. So you can build your life on money, on your talent, on your relationship, on your position. But let me tell you this, they'll all change and they will all fade. You might lose your money, your talent will go, that relationship isn't perfect and your position will change. And when you build your life on these things, your life is subject to the constant ups and downs of our lives. But when you build your life on Jesus, on his word, he is the rock that does not move. He doesn't change. Every word he says is true. He is the firm foundation to build our lives on. Is there anyone who believes that this morning? And prayer, fasting, worship, the Bible and the gathering, they make sure he stays as our foundation. They ensure that he remains number one in our lives. As I said today, I want to talk about the gathering, what we're doing here and now. So right at the start of the Bible in Genesis 2, God shows his heart towards gathering. He says, Genesis 2 verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. See, you were created for connection. You weren't created to live a disconnected life. God outlines it straight away in his word that it's not good to be alone. We were created for connection with God and with people. See, I believe it's impossible to live a fulfilled life without, creation, without connection with our creator God and also without um, connection with people as well. God created us for connection. He's a God of connection. He isn't a far off God who doesn't want to relate. Jesus isn't a king who sits on his throne and barks out orders to his subjects. He wants to know us. He wants connection. He wants relationship. In John 15, Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, I no longer call you servants. I have called you friends. God's heart is to gather. It's always been together. You look at Genesis to Revelation. His heart's been to gather a people under his name, a people who live his way and not the way of the world, a people who choose love over hate, a people who lay down their lives for the sake of others, a people who will honor him, a people who will worship him, a people who will come together to transform their world. God loves to gather. I think we need to contend for gathering in our world today. I think we need to contend for gathering as the church. And there's a lot of people who are maybe a bit longer in the tooth than me. And you'll know, go back 20, 30, 40 years, our towns, villages and cities were communities. People met at community centres and, and churches and, and even pubs and those sort of places. They were gathering points and people knew each other and people related. But it seems today that um, the world's being robbed of connection. The world's being robbed of authentic one-on-one connection where I sit down with Andy, I look at Andy in the eyes and say, how are you doing, mate? It seems like the world today, look, I'm not against technology, is so enamored by the safety of sitting behind a computer and typing a few lines that they've forgotten how to look somebody in the eye and say, I love you, I want to know you. We need to contend for gathering in our world today. 
See, when the church gather under the name of Jesus, he uses our diversity and our difference to show the world how great he is. I don't know if you know Arena Church well or maybe not that well, but we're not looking to build a church around a certain demographic. We're not looking to build a church around a certain age range. We are a multi-generational church because when we come together in our, in our diversity and in our difference and say, God, you're the one who unites us. Jesus, you're the one who unites us. Let me tell you, that is powerful. That's a message to the world that there might be lots of differences between us, but we choose to come together under the name of Jesus. In Ephesians 3, verse 7 to 12, the Apostle Paul, he says this. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Listen to this here, verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Wow! What a picture of the church that through us, God will reveal his mystery and his wisdom to the world. Listen, this is amazing. The power of the church. See, this word church here is translated from the word ecclesia. Ecclesia, which basically means a group of people who are separate, who, are, uh, who God has called to himself separately to go back into the world. That's what this word ecclesia is speaking of here. A body of people, an assembly of people who are called out, the called out ones of God, to go back into the world. That is the power of the church. That through us, the church, the gathered church of Christ, that God would reveal his manifold wisdom and mystery to the world. Is that not amazing? This is the power of what we're doing today. See that when we come together corporately, there's a unique blessing that comes on each of us to go into our world and see it transformed for Jesus. I want us to just take a look at some of the aspects of our gathering and what I believe it should look like. The first thing is this. Our gathering should be a celebration. Should be a celebration. And I love this morning that we've we've lifted our hands, we've hooped, we've hollered, we've sung. Our gathering should be a celebration. Psalm 145 verse 6 to 8 says this. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. See, our gathering should be a celebration of the victory that we have in Jesus. See, this first church, they met on a Sunday to celebrate what Jesus had achieved that first Easter Sunday when he conquered death and rose from the grave. 
See, celebration has to be a key part of our gathering, that we celebrate the goodness, the wonder, and the greatness of our God. See, our church services should reflect this celebration. They should contain extravagant praise, loud music, dancing. It should be a party atmosphere as we come together to say, how great is our God? Just imagine this morning, let's just put you in this scenario. If at the start of the service, I stood up and said, got an announcement to make this morning. I'm going to give every single person here a million pounds each. (laughs) I tell you now, there would be a celebration. People would be crying, people would be dancing, people would be laughing, people, in the right sense of the word, would be losing their minds. How much more should we celebrate because we have the greatest gift of all time? We've been made right with God. Our sins have been forgiven. We're justified by Jesus' blood shed for us on the cross. And more than that, death doesn't have the final say on you and me because God conquered death so we'll live forever. That's worth celebrating. It's the greatest gift of all time. This is a reason to celebrate. I hate it when people think they have to walk into church with hushed voices, acting prim and proper and putting on a facade. That is not the church. That's not the church. This is a place where we come as we are and we celebrate our great God. We celebrate what he's done in us and what he's going to do in us. We're called to celebrate this amazing God. See, our praise should be an explosion of thanksgiving to him. You shouldn't need a band to hype you up or a leader. We should be ready to honour our God, to lift him up. See, I love that we have this culture of celebration here at Arena. But listen, we can do better. We can be bigger. We can be more extravagant in our praise of our God. I believe that this should be the most exciting gathering of the week. Should be the most fun, the most jubilant, because the people of God are coming together to celebrate their Savior. We need to laugh together, praise together, dance together, shout together in celebration of our Savior. Who believes that? The next thing I see is this is that our gathering should be powerful. Should be powerful. Acts 5, verse 12 to 16 says this. Through the work of the apostles, many God signs were set up among the people, many wonderful things done. They all met regularly and in remarkable harmony on the temple porch named after Solomon. This was basically a big gathering point for the church. But even though people admired them a lot, outsiders were wary about joining them. On the other hand, those who put their trust in the master were added right and left, men and women both. They even carried the sick out to the street and laid them on stretchers and bedrolls, hoping they'd be touched by Peter's shadow when he walked by. They came from villages surrounding Jerusalem, throngs of them, bringing the sick and bedeviled, and they were all healed. We see here in Acts 5 that when the people of God came together, it was powerful. The miraculous took place. When you look at this first church, the only thing that was expected was the unexpected. That doesn't mean that it was a free-for-all. There was things in place. But let me tell you, miracles were happening. People were getting saved. In, In Acts 2, we see that people were added to their number daily. I'm believing for that. I don't know about you across arena. See, I think sometimes our approach to the gathering can be a hindrance to what God wants to do. 
And instead of being the powerful celebration it was meant to do, it just becomes church as usual. It becomes part of our schedule. We expect to rush to church, sing some songs, listen to a message and rush off. It just becomes something that we do. We know what we expect and we get that. We don't come with an expectancy for God to move. We don't come with an expectancy to celebrate God. We don't come with an expectancy for what the preacher will say or what God will say. We come, go through the motions and do the same the next week. This is never what the church was meant to be. We see in Acts 2 that the church gathered daily. They couldn't wait to be together. They couldn't wait to see what God would do, who he would heal, who he would save. They came with an expectancy for God to move in a powerful way. See, we're blessed in a ring that we meet as a passionate group of people. But I want to ask you again this morning, raise your expectancy. Believe God for more as we meet. Let's pray and believe that lost people will be saved week in, week out. Let's believe that the sick will be healed. Let's believe that those bound will be set free. So you might not see it, but these things are happening in our services today. People are getting saved. People are healed. People are set free. But God's got more in store. And as people come together, not just me and Christian and a few others come together and pray, as the church comes together and prays that God will move with expectancy, let me tell you, he will move. He'll move. We see it throughout the Bible that this is a God. This is how God loves to be approached. What what is faith if it's not expectancy? Faith is an expectation that God will do what we've not seen him do before. That's what faith is. Can I ask you in this next season to be prayerfully expectant for when we gather? In the week, be praying for people to be set free, for people to be saved, for people to be healed, that God will draw lost people here. When the people of God come together with that expectation, it stops being about us And it starts being about this world that this God is so passionate about. It becomes about his kingdom coming to our world. I don't know about you, but when I come together, I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about God's purposes and God's plan for this town and this place. Our gathering is called to be powerful. It's called to motivate you for Monday, to set you up to live a week as an ambassador of Christ. It's called to send you into your workplace as a called out one of God. It's called to set you up to pray for that person that maybe in the past you've been scared to pray for so that we can minister to this hurting world that we live in, that we celebrate this great God. See, this is why it gets me when people don't make the gathering a priority. See, I never want to miss what God's going to do on a Sunday morning when the people of God come together. I'm always refueled, always refreshed, always inspired to live a life bigger than myself. I don't want to miss an opportunity to connect with God. The morning after our wedding, me and Helen came to church, showed up in church, and people were like, what are you doing here, you crazy people? But the thing is, we'd made the gathering a priority. 
We'd chosen that the gathering was going to be a priority and it wasn't a thing of, oh, do I have to go to church? We wanted to be in church. We didn't want to miss a Sunday. We didn't want to miss what God was going to do. See, Helen and I aren't under any illusions. We know that what God has done through us is not because of our our talent or whatever it may be. It's because we've chosen to be planted in God's house. And the word of God says this, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. And I believe that as I'm planted... As I put God's house first, that my life is going to flourish. As I put God first, I'm going to flourish. How can I say I put God first when I can't even put the gathering of believers first in my life? It's a priority. It's a priority. The next thing our gathering should be, are you still with me? Is big and small. Acts 2, 42, 47 says this. I love these, these verses. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold possessions and property to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, this sounds like a strange one, but we're called to get bigger and to get smaller. What do I mean by that? Well, we're called to meet in this big corporate context like this morning when we all come together. But our gathering should also encompass smaller gatherings where people come together in a different context. If you look at the book of Acts, this first church, you'll see that they started off as a group of 120 people. Then you get a number of 2,000. On the day of Pentecost, 2,000 people got saved. We then see a number of 5,000. And then it says there's a number that can't be counted. That's amazing growth. It even says... In Acts, that there was one meeting that nearly the whole city came to. This church was growing. It was expansive. See, this is the call of God's church, to be rapidly advancing, to be taking ground. See, our gathering should be getting bigger as we go into the world, as the called out ones of God, as we go into our world with the power of God. You say, why do we need to grow, Josh? We're we're doing okay. There might be a hundred of us sat here this morning. That's good. You know, if you think about where we've come from, we've come a long way, haven't we? But if you say that across all the churches across Mansfield this morning, and we pray for other churches and believe that they're going to grow, don't we, as well? But if we said maybe a thousand people might be gathering today, maybe not even a thousand in Mansfield... We see, I think the statistics show that in Mansfield and surrounding areas, there's 100,000 people, around that, 100,000 people. That means that there's 99,000 people today who are choosing not to go to church, who don't know God, who need God. So listen, growth can't be an option. Growth cannot be an option for us. If Jesus did say, sorry, if God did say, if Jesus said in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, it's not an option for you and me to sit back and be happy with 100 people. We need to impact this town. We need to see this town changed by Jesus. Not for a church to get plaudits, not for a leader or a worship team to get plaudits, but so God can get the glory. Does anybody believe that? Growth can't be an option. See, this church in Acts 1, 
when we see 120 uh, gathered together, weren't much bigger than us. And they turned the world upside down. Un- unbelievable. We're sat here today, really, obviously because of what Jesus did, because of, but also because of how Jesus worked through them. I believe that as a group of 100, we can see Mansfield change for Jesus. I believe that. I believe that we can see this M1 corridor change as we plant churches, as we lift God up, as we see people saved, as we go into our world to affect the world for Jesus. See, if Jesus can do it through them, he can do it through us. See, Acts is the book that actually never ended. It's still ongoing today that the wonders that God works in the followers of Jesus. See, the book of Acts continues when you go into that workplace and pray for that person. It continues when we put on care for a coffee. It continues when we serve the down and out, when we help the down and out, when we lift people up, when we're there for each other. The book of Acts continues. It never ended. We just got a a glimpse, a snapshot of what happened in those first days. But also I said we need to get small. We need to get big and we need to get small. And this seems like a contradiction, but it isn't. See, the bigger this church got in Acts, the more they were small, the more they grew small. We see in Acts 2 that they met together in the temple courts, big gathering, corporate gathering like today, but also they broke bread in homes, small gathering. We've got to do the same. This community was so expansive, it was so attractive because they lived lives together. You just It jumps off the pages when you read it. They couldn't wait to be together. It wasn't like, oh, I've got to go to Jazz and Sam's tonight. I've got to go to, you know, uh, Caroline and Christian tonight. They couldn't wait to be together. They couldn't wait to engage, to spend time together, to build relationship. Those who had much helped those who had little. They gathered together in the name of Jesus in their homes. How much our world needs to see this. This community where people love to open their homes, where people love to get together, where people can champion each other and lift each other up. This is the community which our world is, is craving. I promise you, people in our world are so lonely. You know, people I meet in a business or work context who would say to me that they've actually even got no friends. That's crazy, isn't it, in our world today? In a world where people have got thousands of friends on Twitter and Facebook, thousands of followers that... They've got no real relationships. Our world needs this small gathering. It's vital. Our church needs this small gathering. See, this is why we have small groups. The church is not meant just to be a place that we come to once a week and we leave. It's where we come together. It's where we spend time together. It's where we build a life together. It's called the community of believers. This is not an event. This is a lifestyle that we live. So this is the place where we gather and we celebrate and we do all that sort of stuff. But a small group is where you get to know people one-on-one, where people can pray for you, where people can know how you're doing, where you can trust and be trusted, where you can give and receive, where people can help you and people can look after you and people can walk with you. We can't do this in this setting. It's impossible. But you can do it with 10 or 12 people who you choose to live your life with and give your life to. I want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you today. Why don't you just box out a night a week in your diary? Just cross out a night a week and say, I'm going to dedicate to having dinner with somebody or going for coffee with somebody or just 
building relationship with somebody. Why don't you just, just one night a week, one night out of the seven, give it to getting to know someone. Give it to getting to know a few people. And also, if you're not a part of a small group, be a part of one. And don't just go every now and then. Give your life to it. Be life-giving in that setting. Commit to it. Help the leaders. Lift people up. Be authentic. Be real. We're called to build authentic community. The one thing I will ask, though, is this. Please don't just come to church on a Sunday and leave. Be a part of this community. Embrace it. Own it. Build the house of God. And finally... We see in Acts 4 that they were of one heart and soul. Acts 4.32 says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Wouldn't you love to belong to this type of community? Is there any wonder that this church exploded? See, this is the thing when it comes to gathering. I have to lay down my agenda for the good of the whole group. So this, I believe it stops so many churches from advancing, from stepping into what they're called to be. It stops them from moving forward because individuals can't lay down their own agendas. They can't lay down their own thing for the good of the whole. See, this church in Acts, they were unified and united by Jesus, under Jesus, and were committed to seeing him honoured and their world reached. This was their one heart and soul. They came together in one heart and soul. Does that mean they always agreed on everything? No, that's not unity. But what it did mean is this. They decided to lay down the disagreements so they could pick up the cause of Christ and be united by the cause of Christ. See, they were knitted together by the call that God had placed on the church as a whole, and they found the place in that. So people weren't complaining because Peter did all the speaking or because James was making the decisions. They weren't worrying about who was going to get the glory because they knew it all belonged to God anyway. They laid down their personal agendas to see God move in a way the world had never seen before. I want to tell you today that you have your place here at Arena. There is a unique way in which you can bless this congregation, which you can see the cause of Christ advance through your serving. It might not be standing on this stage. It might not be leading worship or playing the drums. It might not be serving on the door. It might not be on the car park, but there is somewhere that you can serve. And we need you to serve. We need you to bring your bit because the more diverse we are, the more people we have giving what they have to Jesus, let me tell you, the cause of Christ can be advanced at a quicker rate and that's what we're all about isn't it laying down our personal agenda to see God move in a way like never before I want to ask you today can we do this as a church can we lay down our agendas to see God move in an unprecedented way can we get past the small things that divide us and focus on the huge person that unites us Jesus can we do that it's time for us to stand as a church together heart and soul, and be the called out ones of Christ, to be the true ecclesia of Christ, separated from the world to bring salvation to the world. The band are going to come up. But don't you know that God wants to transform this area? God wants to transform this town. God wants to transform your workplace 
and your family. And he wants to do it through you. You know, we might feel this morning that we're passionate about this town. I promise you this, God's far more passionate about this town than you or or, or I am. He wants to see people changed, people set free, people saved. Will we stand together as the church and say, it's not about me, it's about what God wants to do. Can we do that? Can we lay our agendas down? See, God's not looking for supermen or superwomen. He's looking for the church to come together and say, this is what I've got, God. I bring it to you. Here I am. Send me. As we finish today, I just ask you, bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm done. But first of all,